This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, get out those label makers. It's time to mark your drone. And we're celebrating a GPS anniversary. Also, a little bit of cash money for airports affected by the TFRs. Let's talk about some Collier Trophy finalists. All right, Dave, you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk, Ian. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, 1056, turn right, heading 130, contact final, 132.4. Turn right, sky back. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. I'm David Tulis. And uh, David, our guest this week, a really dynamic uh, young woman in aviation, somebody you caught up with, Savannah Rasky. Yes, Savannah Rasky is a Utah Air National Guard member, a private pilot, and she has a performance arts background that she has used to help young people get more interested in aviation. We will hear all about that with Savannah Rasky and the Savvy Traveler, S-A-V-Y Traveler on YouTube. Okay, performance art background. That ought to be, uh, I'm fascinated. All right, I can't wait to hear she about it. She was a great um, interview. She's an awesome podcast guest, and we got her via Skype. She is just fantastic. Cool, cool. Okay, great. Drone pilots, listen up. David, I know that's you, so uh, pay attention now. Your drone will, from now on, have to be marked with the registration on the outside, a new rule from the FAA. And that is in opposition to the original rule, which was to mark it inside and a lot of people put their markings as i did inside the battery bay that is no longer cool you can't do that yeah i guess the argument was law enforcement and others you know if something happened with a drone they wanted to be able to quickly identify it it's funny because the story says you know if it carries an explosive or something which if that's going to happen you're not going to see a registration that's (laughs) true i mean it's it's a little far-fetched i get but i get it for security (laughs) but you know what airplanes are marked on the outside ian so if this this is an aircraft and we're going to treat them like aircraft I'm fine with that. I've already printed my labels out. Yeah. All right. Cool. And uh, and yeah, as we as we say, it's a label maker. It's not like a paint, you know, with an airplane. So should be easy. You can go on to AOPA.org, find out more about the story and about uh, what the requirements are. But yeah, definitely, if you got a drone, keep in mind that sucker's got to be marked on the outside now. Absolutely. So let's reminisce a little bit. 25th anniversary just passed last week. The Garmin GPS 155 TSO came out, which was the first 
IFR panel-mounted GPS. So 25 years. Can you believe it? I can't believe time flies so quickly, Ian, uh, literally and physically. But we have come a long way since then with the panel mount GPS. And now we're already at the touchscreen version. And uh, it's just so much easier. And the situation awareness has improved dramatically. Yeah, it is amazing. Now, this uh, 155, if you're not familiar with it, it looks nothing like what you would have today. Uh, you've got the Commodore 64 type display there, the, the green uh, computer type, and uh, basically a deviation indicator. But it was pretty sophisticated for its day. It was, Ian. And I had a, a competitor's model in my Mooney, and um, it, it was uh, powered by FreeFlight. Mm. And it was the same kind of a thing. It was a deviation needle, and it worked fine. I mean, I was good. You can get... Airports and nav aids, and it was just fine. It was huge. I still used it in concert with VORs, of course. Yeah. But what a tremendous leap forward with that GPS 155. And and tell us a little bit about AOPA's involvement with that particular unit. Yeah, that's a great point. Actually, AOPA from the beginning, Phil Bore was the president at the time, and, and he's always been a technology nut. And so I think he saw the future of GPS and what what would be capable with it in aviation. And so AOPA was a strong proponent of opening up the GPS system to general aviation and, um, you know, getting manufacturers on board, making units for airplanes and, and certifying approaches to the point that the first certified IFR approach for GPS is into Frederick. And Phil and the FAA administrator at the time, David Henson, flew that approach the first time into Frederick. That's right, to Runway 5 here at Frederick. And it's real interesting. There's still fixes named after them to this day. They're, the fixes are Phil B, Defend, and G-A, which spelled G-E-E-A-Y. And that was basically a tip of the hat to keep uh, G-A defended by Phil Boyer, who was our president. Of course, Mark Baker is now. But uh, that was real interesting that they had plugged that into the um, – to the IFR chart, and yeah. that's amazing. I wonder how that approach was flown back then. Yeah, I know it is a it's incredible, and uh, it's a good approach. Uh, flown it. Um, we don't use five too often at Frederick, uh, just because of the winds. But uh, yeah, it's really neat to think that's where it all started. But now you you started with GPS before the IFR panel mounts. You were you go back even to the the handhelds. That's right, Ian. And I was just uh, we were reminiscing a little bit before we we started the podcast. The first one that I had was actually a really cool unit. It was a handheld. It was a Garmin 3. It was kind of a triangular little thing that you put on the panel. And, man, I can tell you what, my flight training advanced to the next level almost immediately with that bad boy. I didn't feel like I was lost at all where before I was kind of quizzical about where I was, you know, and it made a huge difference in confidence. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I started uh, with a hand-me-down Trimble, I think it was, handheld. And uh, as I recall, I don't know, I might be wrong about this. Um, I learned to fly in 98. And as I recall, it was also just a deviation indicator, just kind of a single line of text. But you had to input, I think, the Latin long. I don't even think it had an airport database. You you know, you had to put in, okay, I'm leaving from this Latin long and arriving to that Latin long, and it would give you the deviation. And, you know, I, I can't say that I was a heavy user of it because it was so cumbersome. But it did uh, it did really help out. The other thing is when you learn to fly in Florida like I did, it's like all you got to do is follow the roads which run north, south, east, west and look for the coast and you know where you're going. So it's not a huge deal. But I certainly didn't see where things were going. Uh, I know some other folks did, but uh, it's just phenomenal when you think about how far we've come. Absolutely. And I definitely remember my, uh, my first GPS experience. So just to reminisce a little bit. 
on one of my training flights, it was a, a cross country, and I was getting ready to use it. I was with my instructor. We were sort of doing a run through. I was getting ready to use it. I put on the panel uh, just for situational awareness, of course, Ian. <laughs> and, you know, when you're a young pilot, you're a little, it's just, you don't have the confidence, you know, to start yeah. with. And yep. my instructor took that GPS and tossed it into the back seat <laughs> and said, uh, we're not ready to use that thing yet. Yeah. I want you to learn where you are, you know, learn your pilotage. Let's go. <laughs> so you're yeah. like, you wanted to slap him. You're like, hey, now, come on. I'm going to use that thing when we're done. So like, come on, let me use it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the flip side of that is that today's pilots, I want to I want to think about this. I wonder if today's pilots rely too much on that and not enough looking outside the cockpit. Maybe. I mean, I, I, I do think I'm thankful that I learned IFR without the benefit of GPS because I think, you know, your situational awareness that to be forced to look at it uh, from a bird's eye view and, and figure out where you are is really nice, whereas GPS obviously hands it to you. And so you've got kind of an inside out navigation. But yeah, you know, another thing I think that's in, that's just fascinating about this is I was looking back at the history and the the Garmin 430, you know, the GNS 430 that that most people kind of grew up on GPS with in, in the most recent generation. That came out in 98. So to go from that 155 with, you know, just a few lines of that green computer text with a deviation indicator to only four years later having a color moving map, integrated comm, nav, uh, that's amazing. I totally agree with you. And when I was um, doing my initial flight training in Atlanta at Peachtree Cab Airport, there was a really cool airplane that I used. I want to say it was like an Eagle or something like that. I can't quite remember the name, but it had, had a little canard on the front. But it had a dual 430s, and it was impressive. And if, if you recall, didn't the, did the Cirrus SR-20 start with something like that? I know they had an Avidine panel. Um, when they went digital, yeah, that's yep. Yeah, but they used Garmin navigators. That's right. Yeah, they they started with uh, with kind of glass and a multifunction display and four uh, thirties as the navigators. Yep, and then when the five thirty came out, man, you were in high cotton there. That was a that's a nice big unit. And yeah, you could see a lot more of what was going on around you and a little bit more airspace. And but you're right. In a short amount of time, yeah. it just the technology leapfrogged. Yeah, amazing stuff. Hey, want to move on to some good news. Uh, we've talked about before uh, President Trump's frequent visits to his places in Florida, New Jersey, and the, the impact that's had on the airports there and AOPA's efforts to get some relief for those airports, be it being allowed to, to have GA Gateway airports, to get into the airports while they're shut down, or, or financial assistance. And it turns out that uh, some behind-the-scenes hard work by the AOPA Legislative Affairs staff, has resulted in some uh, some remuneration for the airports. This is great news for the airports in New Jersey and in Florida, and New Jersey's Salberg and Somerset airports, and at Florida's Palm Beach County, which is also known as Lantana. And so we're talking about $3.5 million to help offset some of the expenses when you can't have flight training operations or sizing operations or, or really a lot of GA ops. Yep. So that's great news for those airports. And uh, moving forward, I think AOPA will continue to monitor and see how often the president shuts down those airports and, and if more will be needed. But uh, it's, I think, a big win and uh, just a, a good news story all around there. Absolutely. A lot of hard work, like you said, went into this, Ian. And also, again, yet another good use of GPS to know where the airspace is. And you know, bringing it back around 25 years later, this might have been pretty tricky to do back in the day without having that information at our fingertips. Yeah, that's a great point. Trying to navigate around a presidential TFR without GPS is 
that's tough work. You got to really avoid, I think, by a wide margin to keep yourself safe there. So uh, that's a really good point. Indeed. So uh, moving on, um, celebrating some other really interesting and new tech, the Collier Trophy. This is one of the premier awards in aviation every year. It comes out for you know advancements in technology. It's been everything from the Vision Jet uh, last year to the 747 to the Apollo missions. And so 11 nominees announced this year, and they run the gamut from uh, – Stuff you've probably never even heard of to really popular, really cool projects. Yeah, let's take a turn at, at all of them real quick. The Automated Ground Collision Avoidance System, that's one of the 11. Yep, uh, the Bell V280 Valor, a real bad boy, one of my favorites. And America's Trainer, also known as the Boeing TX. Yeah, that thing is cool looking. I would love to fly that. The Draken International. Contract Close Air Support and Advent Adversary Air Services in support of combat readiness training. Whew. That's a mouthful. <laughs> and to follow up on that, the, the Embraer 190-E2, the it's a medium-range airliner that was certified and entered into service in 2018. And this is kind of important because didn't Embraer and Boeing just partner up? Yeah, yep. So that is uh, that is interesting. It's almost, Yeah, it's a, a future win for Boeing there. The F-35 Integrated Test Force, which I think is an interesting choice. And the General Atomics Aeronautical Systems Predator B. Now, this is an unmanned aircraft systems, mm-hmm. and we've heard a lot about the Predators, you know, overseas and at other secret missions. Yeah, that's right. Um, the NASA JPL Mars Cube 1 project team. And the Perlin project is also on the nominations for the Collier Trophy, and we were so happy to have... Perlin represented on one of our podcasts. Yeah, that's a super cool project. And um, another really neat one, uh, the Virgin Galactic Spaceship 2 program. And rounding out the Responsive Environmental Assessment Commercially Hosted Project, which is abbreviated REACH. And I was just getting caught up to speed (laughs) on that. And basically it's using commercial host satellites to launch DOD experimental payloads to cut costs. Yeah. So some uh, sort of behind-the-scenes nerd tech there, uh, and then some really, really cool public projects that I think everyone's probably heard of. So I don't know. I'm not really in the business of predictions. You never know where the Collier is going to go, but uh, I don't know. You, you got any? You got money on anything? I don't, but I do, I do recall that last year the Cirrus SF-50 Vision Jet won, and that was, I believe, their second win. So, um, but I've got, I think I've got my money on the Perlin project. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. I think maybe the the Bell uh, V280 Valor, uh, that one is just so cool. That's a tilt rotor, kind of a smaller version uh, of the tilt rotor that's in service now. That one's really neat. I don't know. Spaceship 2, uh, it's definitely a worthy one, but, you know, until they start taking passengers, commercial passengers into space, I don't know if that one's ready yet yeah. for a win. Well, I think I guess we'll have to wait just a few more weeks to find out how it goes. Yep. So that one will be announced in a couple of weeks, and then they have the the celebration and the dinner and everything uh, later in the summer. So, hey, you were at the event uh, this year, the Gamma Numbers. They just came out uh, this week as we record. Lots of really cool things that uh, I think we can learn from it, and we always like to look back at it. This is the year-end report, so now we're looking at the entire 2018 numbers versus 2017. So uh, what did you see? What'd you, how was the event, and uh, what would you like out of it? Well, first of all, I enjoyed the event just in general. I had never been to it before, Ian. I liked seeing and meeting a lot of the players in the, in the general aviation industry. I was really impressed that we finally had a year that everything was up across the board uh, during this annual report. This sort of shows that, that, now, of course, we have a long way to go, and we'll get to that later in the podcast, but 
I was really happy to see that we were up with, you know, piston shipments, with turbines, with helicopters. Uh, I think it was impressive and that general aviation could celebrate for a change. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Lots of really good news that came out of it. Uh, pistons and uh, helicopters. Piston helicopters are both up about 5%. So that's all good news, I think. Billings on turboprops were way up, like 20%. And and jet deliveries were up just a little bit. So uh, all around, I would say good news. Now, you mentioned a few things in, in your story, which I, I love your stories, the top 10 things that we can take away from this. And it's available at AFPA.org to remind people about it. And we were talking about this earlier, and we've talked about it in other podcasts that Piper is really killing it. That, and that is, that is exactly what you said. Piper is killing it. Yeah. Yeah, that, I think, more than anything is the takeaway here. You can, you know, you can sort of look at individual companies and, and in a vacuum and say, okay, they're doing well or they're not doing well. But I think when you, especially when you look at Piper in terms of the competition, they are truly, I mean, not only are their, their numbers up big time, obviously, but uh, in light of how everybody else is doing, it's like they are just doing an incredible job there. They are. And then, you know, they vowed to go head to head with Textron Cessna. And it does look like they are implementing that plan. They put a lot more people to work in Vera Beach, Florida. And it looks like, and this is, again, according to the article that you wrote, that Textron Cessna is really continuing its influence to the jet market and kind of letting our training market slide a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of Cessna pistons, uh, I think this is disappointing. The The Skyhawk, so let's, let's say off the bat that the demand for training airplanes is huge right now. Um, you talk to flight schools you know, big operators, fleet operators that are doing like, you know, sort of career training, they are really desperate for airplanes. And so Cessna only put out 100, well, only, they they put out 129 Skyhawks last year, which, you know, on its face is a good number, but it's the same number that they did in 2017. And when you think about the demand out there for training airplanes, I don't think that's terribly encouraging. Right. And don't forget, we, and, and we also had a uh... These guys as a podcast guest a while back, but Vulcan Air is entering the training market here, the Italian brand. Mm-hmm. So there are there is some competition, you know, to that market, and, yep. and schools really do want to save money in the training marketplace, and that is uh, that's something that people are looking at. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, Vulcan Air, you know, Technum is there now, and uh, obviously you still have Piper, and so yeah, I agree. It's like it is. As it becomes longer and longer to get a weight position at uh, at Textron and, and Piper, it's like people are going to start looking elsewhere because they need airplanes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. A few other things. I was really disappointed with Diamond. You know, they did really well in the twin department, which is obviously where they want folks to go because they're making more money on twins than they're going to with like DA-40s. But what I was, you know, what we were just talking about with training airplanes is DA-40 is a good airplane, a good training airplane. And um Man, they put out 60 of them in 2017 and only 45 last year. And it's like, I think when you're talking about the training market as it is, you should be putting out a lot more da 40s Yeah, I agree with that. And that is a really a good airplane to train in, too. I mean, I just I don't understand that. And the Diamond 62, the DA-62, there were 36 of those that were shipped in uh, all of last year which is kind of neat for a twin, but yeah, they kind of let the, the singles go a little bit. Why, why do you think that is? I don't know. I, I guess that's, uh, you know, I don't know if that's just their sales strategy um, just to push the twins and they're not really putting any emphasis on the 40s or or what it is. Uh, I think they could sell a lot more 40s if they did uh, focus on them because, yeah, I, I agree. They are, they're a great training airplane. They're affordable uh, relatively. 
very high tech. They look cool. I think students like flying them. They've got a really good wing for training. So it's like, I, I don't know. I'm, I, that surprised me. Now, the twins are super, super cool airplanes. And so I think it's great that they're selling those. But yeah, I'd love to see more more 40s roll out the door. Well, let's talk about another uh, company that's kind of, you know, to me, I've been kind of pulling for them and rooting for them to see if they could finally get it going. It looks like Icon Aircraft, they are finally getting these aircraft out the door. They uh, shipped 27 of the A5s in the quarter four and 44 aircraft in last year. Now, that's pretty good. But, Ian, don't they have a pretty darn long backlog? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at one point, they were well over 1,000. So at that rate, you're going to be waiting a decade for an airplane. So they they do, they got to pick up the pace a little bit. And I think they will. It's good to see them kind of slowly ramping up. Probably they're more interested in this point at getting quality out the door to make sure those initial airplanes are, are good airplanes. I think that's really important for a new manufacturer. But yeah, they, they at the same time, they've got to start pushing it a little bit. And it'll be interesting to see what happens, whether you know, with Hawkins being replaced, whether and going to a manufacturing focus, that'll change and speed up or what. But um, yeah, it, it is good. I, they're 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 in the right direction, and they're in the right direction. The other thing that we don't talk about that often, but the the market for agriculture aircraft is still really strong with Air Tractor and Thrush. These guys are still going at it, you know, uh, neck and neck yeah. a little bit. That Thrush had thirty eight units that they shipped last year. And Air Tractor was a little bit over 100, 141 units. So that's kind of a lot of aircraft, and they're kind of they're very expensive aircraft and very specialized. But they have uh, been going at it, and, and that doesn't seem like that market is slowing down at all either. Yeah, that's that's impressive. I mean, there's a lot of talk about drones replacing that a lot of that flying, but uh, clearly that's not happening yet because uh, that's a lot of high dollar airplanes rolling out. So that that's very cool. I think they export a fair amount of those too, which is not surprising. And then I know helicopter helicopter shipments are something that's close to your heart because you're a helicopter pilot, and obviously Robinson is still going strong. Yep, there was a slide a couple of years ago in the entire helicopter market, including training, as oil plummeted. You know, people really cut back on orders because they saw the offshore market uh, really kind of dry up a little bit, but. Yeah, training helicopters back at it. You saw gains from Robinson and Enstrom, which is awesome to see, uh, the guys uh, from Menominee. And then um, also the uh, the gimbal, the little helicopter that could from France. So, yeah, I'm loving that. I think that's that's really great. Uh, love to see more people flying helicopters. It's a lot of funny, and it's a whole different ballgame for sure. It really is. It really is. So, yeah, all good news from Gamma. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what happens next year. So, yeah, check out the story, AOPA.org. There's kind of two takes on it. There's uh, just the straight news where you can get a real nice rundown of the numbers and then a little bit of an analysis piece. So, um, yeah, check those out. All right, so David, Savannah Rasky, I think it's so cool that you got to talk to her. Uh, She's making some really fun videos online, and it's just neat to see a different generation of people in aviation and really having fun with it and and, uh, sharing how they interact with airplanes and the people in aviation. And it's, it's it's really neat, and so I'm really anxious to hear from her. Savannah was a great guest, and we sure appreciate her taking the time to join us on the podcast via Skype. And without further ado, let's hear a little bit more from Savannah Rasky. Welcome to the Hangar Talk podcast, Savannah Rasky uh, via Skype. 
We appreciate you being with us today. Now, you're a little bit of a social media phenomena right here. I've seen some of your <laughs> videos online. You're a pilot. I know you're an airplane owner. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself real quick to our podcast audience. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me. My name is Savannah Rasky. I just turned 26 years old. I got my private license in April, and I own a Piper Cherokee 6. So I'm a fresh plane owner. That's been exciting. I'm in the Air National Guard, and I've been in for about seven years. And my ultimate goal with aviation is to become a KC-135 pilot. So that's where I'm kind of at right now in my career with aviation. So you got your pilot certificate, you said in April? Is that for real? Yeah. And, then, yeah. and I, you've had your Cherokee 6 for uh, several months now, so it wasn't very long after you got your certificate that you got your Cherokee 6. Yeah, April. I started my license in January, got my finished in April, and then got the Cherokee 6 in the summer. So yeah, it was all pretty much like one after another. <laughs> wow, that is incredible. Now you are a hard driving young person. Uh, definitely, yeah, definitely with goals in mind. I think that's really awesome. Um, I do think you're an inspiration for, for some of our younger people, and that's one reason why I wanted to have you on uh, the Hangar Talk podcast. So now um, you start out by saying that you've been in uh, you've been in the service for seven years. Thank you for your service. We appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate it. So how long will it take to be like a KC-135 pilot? So I actually have an interview coming up at the end of this month. If I get the slot, then it's about two years of training before they release you back into the base to fly with them. Wow, that's that's fantastic. And so now, while you're doing that, can you? I know you're gonna keep both feet in the GA world. Are you gonna yeah. look at maybe um, an instrument rating, a commercial rating, and kind of go through that when you have your time off? Yeah. So right now, I've been working on commercial and instrument. I've done all the ground for both. Um, I'm currently flying with commercial. I'm really close to my tuck ride, but I've been kind of waiting as well because if I get the pilot slot, then I'll go through their training and get my ratings through them. The only one, if I have my private, I don't have to go through that part again. But since I have that, they'll put me through what they have at their training. I gotcha. But in the meantime, I'm still working on it just so I'm actually prepared for if I get it. Then I'll go in, you know, knowing a lot. <laughs> I gotcha. So you really, you're hedging your bets. You're in the private world, you've got a backup plan. Professionally, yeah. you've got your, your eyes set on the goal down the road. Gotcha. Right. All right, so now I know the answer to this question because I know, I know the person, but who's your aviation inspiration? <laughs> that would definitely be my dad. <laughs> I would not be in this world at all if it wasn't for him. He definitely, he, I mean, he flew F-16s in the Air Force, and then he's huge into general aviation, and he's a United pilot right now. And he really pushed me into this world, and I was really re resistant at first. I actually didn't like flying. I didn't want to do it. But then I found the passion for it, and now it's my absolute dream. I just think about it all the time. <laughs> but he's definitely the one that got me into this world. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, I know, I know Captain Bob Rasky. He's a good guy, and we're so glad that, that you're in the aviation world with him, too. And he's actually on our AOPA high school steering board. So I should let people know that he's really big into helping uh, the next generation learn to fly with science, technology, engineering, and math curriculum. And so that was going to lead me to some, some other questions first before we get down to the fun stuff. How do you think we can do, I mean, can we do a better job or what do you think we should do about getting more young people involved in aviation? Yeah, so when I got into this world, I, I realized that, you know, there's kind of a gap between age differences of who's in aviation and who's not in aviation. 
And I think it's really just being relatable. I think the more when people see people that are like them that are doing something they never thought they could do, then it becomes possible. So really, there's a ton of young people out there that are aviators and they're doing amazing things, but kind of bringing them to the forefront and making people aware of them. And then the younger kids will see that and be like, oh, they can do it, I can do it too. It's like the high school program you guys have, bringing in young kids that are actually pilots. Because, I mean, it's nice to have people to look up to like mentors and, but then when you have someone your age, then it makes it more accessible. You're right, you're right. And I gotta admit, I'm I'm in the, on the other end of that age spectrum now. I. <laughs> I went flying, uh, much like you, I went flying with my dad when I was younger, and he had a Cherokee 6. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, in, in 5221 Sierra. So, hey, if it's out there somewhere, I'd like to find it one day. So, another thing that um, I think is really interesting, we talked about it right at the beginning of the program, your beautiful Cherokee 6. And I know there's a little bit of a story about you uh, going to pick that airplane up. Okay, so actually, my dad is the previous owner of the plane. Um, he's had it for about 20 years, I think. He put a lot of heart and soul into it. He has the Piper Cherokee 6 and a twin Aztec. And kind of me getting my license, I was like, Dad, if I get my license, can I take the plane so I can do the rest of my ratings in it? Because I thought it would be more economical. And I was just kind of sitting in Florida, so I just wanted to give it some love. And I achieved my license, and he held his end of the bargain. So... I went out to Florida and we did a long cross country together back to Utah and it was definitely a learning experience. It was my first time ever flying something that big and fast. I got my life in a DA-40, so just a tiny little plane. <laughs> and I mean, learning. he's a great instructor. He was a CFI, DPE, so he's really good at teaching. But it was a big responsibility kind of taking his baby, his prized possession, and becoming an owner of it. So I wanted to make sure I treated it well and with respect and he's really meticulous with his maintenance records and so I had a lot to learn actually with becoming a plane owner within the first couple of weeks of having it I had to replace some parts I got stranded it was just it's been a learning experience but I think that's the best way to do it is having to get thrown into the fire and just kind of figure it out as you go well and now I don't know if your dad saw your video but now you put a mustache on that airplane <laughs> and you were singing Don't Go Breaking My Heart. I think that was by Elton John. Tell me a little bit about that. This is a hilarious, for podcast <laughs> listeners and for folks who are seeing this on video, this is a great <laughs> example of what kind of fun you can have with an airplane. Yeah, so, I mean, I was never really into the aviation world growing up. I was more into the arts. So I graduated with a performing arts degree. I love singing and dancing, but I've always loved being in the military too. And as I got into more into aviation, I wanted to marry both worlds. I didn't think I had to just be one or the other. I thought I could find a way to make them work together. And so I had all these ideas. I've been making videos for a while. And when I started into aviation, I thought I haven't really seen a lot of fun aviation videos. I watch a ton on YouTube that are really informal and instructional and helpful in that sense, but nothing that just kind of makes you smile and makes you curious about flying. So I decided to take my passion for dancing and singing and just kind of make a comical video that would hopefully just brighten people's days and kind of make aviation cool for like the younger people that see that because people are really into videos these days, things go viral and seeing, you know, a girl dancing with a plane, they're like, wow, you can do that? Like I thought aviation <laughs> I thought it was, you know, stressful, which it can be, but I just want to show the more playful fun side because there's definitely that side as well. 
Well, speaking of fun things, I'm going to run through a few of the videos that really caught my attention. That light speed video that starts out with the Top Gun theme is just crazy. Yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And Thank you. Yeah, and you had costume changes with that, and you had a partner in crime in that one. Take, us, nice through, take us through that. Yeah, so that was probably one of my first aviation videos. I had a crazy idea. I had just become a pilot. I was really excited. I just kind of wanted to do everything with my plane. I just wanted to use it in every way that I could. And I'd seen these videos on YouTube that were really popular called car karaoke. And so people would do that concept sitting in their car. And I thought, well, let's elevate this and take it to the cockpit. And so I came up, I asked uh, people on Instagram for ideas for songs that had to do with flying or aviation. I called my mom, I asked my dad, I just got a group of people to help me with ideas of how I could make this happen. And I enlisted the help of my sister who thought it was crazy, but she helped me anyways. And it was actually quite the process getting all the costumes. And it was during the middle of summer and the plane was in the hangar. So we were just roasting inside the cockpit as we were filming this and doing take after take to make it perfect. And I was actually really nervous to put it out there because I never seen anything like this. I didn't know if people would think I was a joke or how they would take it because I am serious about being a pilot and an aviator, oh, yeah. but I also wanted to show a fun side too. Yeah, sure. Um, so I just was kind of nervous. I didn't know if they think it was funny, but it actually was my most popular video ever. And it was just so fun to see people smile and say, you know, they wanted to do it in their planes as well and just kind of inspire people. And then I got a lot of messages actually about being a pilot and how they could be a pilot. So it kind of stemmed from that. So that turned out to be a real interesting way to get more people involved and interested in aviation. It did exactly what you wanted to do yeah. and married your performance background with your aviation background and it got young people involved. Exactly, which is my whole goal, my whole reason for putting stuff out there, being silly, being fun. is just to enlighten a spark in the young generation to just go after their dreams. I feel like they just watch people doing stuff, but I just kind of challenge them, hey, I can do this, you can do this too. And so I kind of show my struggles through it, I show the fun part, just because I think that so many young people have the dream to do this, they just don't think they can. So I just kind of want to be that, you know, proponent that you can, you really can. <laughs> so now, how can people find these videos? They probably have to friend you up on Facebook or are they, or are they elsewhere. I couldn't find them on YouTube. Yeah, so I actually, my main platform is Instagram that I use mostly, so I'm okay. the Savvy Traveler on Instagram. Uh, Facebook I use a lot, and then I do have a YouTube channel, which I post them on. It's called the Savvy Traveler, and, okay. but yeah, Facebook and Instagram are pretty much my main platforms. All right, so Savvy Traveler, if we want to find it on YouTube, and yeah. Instagram and Facebook, Savannah Rasky, R-A-S-K-E-Y. All right, we're not nearly done with this uh, via Skype. I just wanted to get that out there so that people would know. So you did something really cool uh, that, uh, that I thought was just it's not in your aviation world, but just as a nice person. And this really <laughs> struck me as, as sort of a, a, a window into your heart a little bit. But you did something really interesting for your 26th birthday. Yeah. Run, run, give me the, the <laughs> give me the idea for that. Twenty six things for your twenty sixth birthday, and I guess you started twenty six days in front of that. Right. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, our podcast could have been part of that, but I didn't realize I, that <laughs> wanting to be an aviation on an aviation podcast was one of your yeah. one of your goals. But anyway, tell yeah. us through all that. Take us through all that. Yeah. So uh, there's a YouTube group called Guest Theory that I was exposed to, and they're a group of guys that just go out there and they try to seek discomfort is what their motto is and so I was watching their videos and I've always really liked the idea of pushing outside your comfort zone and 
being kind. But after seeing that, I was just inspired. I was like, I'm turning 26 soon. I just have to do something epic. I have to find ways to make this really memorable. So I had the idea to make this video. So I started making lists of things I've always wanted to do, um, things that were random acts of kindness, or things that would push me outside my comfort zone, because I feel like, you know, your life begins at the end of your comfort zone. So ah, I just really wanted to push myself. It's a new year, new age, like, let's get this. So I made a list. And as I was starting this, I was in the middle of studying for a really important test for my military career. And so I was thinking, maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe I should put it off. But I was, there's 24 hours in a day. I can put it up. I can make this happen. <laughs> so I I did it. I stuck with it. I had a lot of doubts at first. I was like, this video is going to be really long. Is anyone going to watch this? Are people really going to care about this? But in the end, I was, this was kind of a journal for me. It was in my own diary so that I could look back on it and I could reflect on it, regardless of if anyone really cared about it or watched it. It didn't really matter at that point. It was just really for my own benefit and for the people that were involved's benefit. So I did things like, um, leave positive notes in random places, or I challenge strangers to dance in public, and I went out and I danced in public at the mall. And that was hilarious. <laughs> I, I thought that was great. And all of a sudden, there's like groups of people, you're all dancing, and nobody knew yeah. anybody. So it was, I was just shocked, actually, at how nice and willing people are to just go outside their comfort zone and try if you, you know, if you ask them. People just need, you know, a reason to do something. And so it was actually a cool experience. And I, I grew up really shy, so that's why these challenges really like were uncomfortable for me because I'm not used to putting myself out there. I have been more so with what I do, but a lot of it's behind the screen. A lot of it's you know not really in front of people and going out and asking strangers to do stuff. You know, it's really scary. But the more I did, the more confident I became, and it was just a really cool experience. And I had so much fun, and I've had really positive feedback of people wanting to do 26 things for their birthday and get out there, and it just. That was honestly amazing. <laughs> so did you grow up, so I know about a little bit about your performance background and, and dancing and all. Did you grow up wanting to be in sort of the performance arena or in the you know, video production, audio production arena? Uh, so I grew up really just wanting to be in the performance arena, uh, doing choir, singing. I went to school initially for opera, so that's what I was studying. And then I just... Everything I did, I switched my major five times just because I was interested in so many things. I just wanted to learn everything, and I didn't want to be stuck to one thing. And so being able to do all the arts and then being introduced to aviation just kind of like found my balance of everything that I ever wanted. And that's kind of like what I want to do now is aviation and performance and try to find ways to create ways to use both of those. Tell me a little bit about now We're talking a little bit about the 26 things for your uh, 26th birthday. And you set up an Instapilot friend fly-in, which is something that's unique. I never heard of, about that. I think you made this up. <laughs> so with Instagram, it's common to do Insta meetups where you connect with someone on Instagram and then you're like, oh, let's go meet up somewhere. And so you'll drive to a certain location. But I had one friend and we live fairly close for pilots. And so we really wanted to meet up. So we picked a central location where we could fly to. We picked a day where the weather was going to be good. And we're like, okay, let's meet up here at this time with our planes. And we just took off, met up in the Canyonlands, and then cruised around Arctic National Park in his plane and just had a lot of fun that way. And it was just really cool to have a friend who's a pilot and just be able to say, hey, let's, we're from different states, but we can meet up in the same day and then go back home. That <laughs> it was is, really much 
thing, actually. That's that's the uniqueness and that's the appeal of general aviation. It gets you there. Yeah. Yes. Now, no arguments about high wing and low wing because I think your friend had a Cessna look like. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right, now, I saw a little video of you about uh, you were in uh, taking some aerobatic lessons or you were doing some aerobatics. It looked like a decathlon. It was, yeah. Tell us about that. So, for me, when I started flying, I didn't like it because I'd get pretty airsick, and so that made it kind of miserable. But over the, you know, over the flight and just being more exposed to it, I totally got over it. I don't get airsick. But then with aerobatics, I tried it, and I still get a little queasy. So it was my goal to just, you know, do it as much as I can until it doesn't bother me anymore. And then I really think aerobatics just makes pilots better because it just really gives you good control over your plan. It makes you more confident, you know, how to recover from spins, upset recovery, unusual attitudes. And for me, my main goal as a pilot is just to be as confident, as competent as I can be. Because I feel like when you start to become complacent is when you start to become dangerous. And so I just want to do all the training I can be just for myself so that I know when I take passengers up or when I go up by myself that I'm as safe as I can be. And no matter what happens, I'll be able to make the right decisions. There and you so go. Yeah. That's Good point. Right, yeah. <laughs> and with my military training, I wanted to get some aerobatics in just because so I'd be, you know, better suited for what I'm going to have to go through when I get there. So I want to do everything now so that I can get there and just kind of kill it and crush it in training. That makes sense. I can understand. You know who else got a little queasy, a little airsick right at the beginning of their flying career was Bob Hooper, famed aviation really? uh, aerobatic pioneer and, and uh, test pilot. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right, so what's it like flying over the Wasatch? It's beautiful, honestly. The mountains are super stunning. Especially in this area, we have the valley, so you get like the beautiful lakes and then surrounded by mountains. And right now, the mountains are covered in snow. So you're just flying over just the snow-dusted mountains. The weather has been kind of on and off just because of the snowstorms and icing conditions. But on days like today, it's very clear, it's very still. And when it's beautiful and clear, the weather, the winds are calm and Honestly, couldn't ask for anything better. In the summer, the plane's a little bit harder to climb over the mountains, but on a good day, you can get up there. It's really warm and, you know, fly over to the lake in Idaho and go boating or something. Just the terrain is amazing, and you have not just the mountains, but you have also the desert, too. So you can just fly a little bit further out, and you have all this desert landscape, and then you have Arches National Park, and you have all these different rock formations and the water. So you kind of get a little bit of everything here. So you were in a very geographically rich environment. I know you like to take photos and videos. So that actually, all that kind of combines with your aviation background. It makes for a real appealing day in the air, I would imagine. It really does. Every time I get up, I feel like I have the same photo a thousand times on my camera roll of my wing and like some mountain. But just every time I go up, I'm like, wow, is this real life? This is amazing. One of my favorite places to fly with people is over the Great Salt Lake. Because a lot of people don't know this, and I didn't know this until I flew over it that half of the lake is actually pink and you would never know that from the ground really and it's because of the bacteria that's in there and so you go up there and there's a divide where half of it's blue and half of it's pink and it's like the most glorious thing and every time I'm just like oh this is amazing <laughs> I love it so much that sounds really good I'd love to uh to see that myself in a, G, in a GA airplane, which I have not yet. But I have been yeah. to Arches National Park, it's beautiful. And I've been out yeah. to Salt Lake a little bit too. And I like to go skiing, so that's kind of fun too. Yeah, perfect. 
All right, so a little bit off topic here, but just so, so our podcast listeners get to know you a little bit more, I know that you were recently honored by doing something um, outside of aviation, but it combined one of your one of your loves. You were able to sing the national anthem. Yeah. And you sang that to some special folks. And <laughs> I'm putting you on the carpet right now, but uh, tell me a little bit about that. So when I enlisted in the Air Force, it's kind of silly to say out loud, but is actually one of my reasons for enlisting was to sing the national anthem in my uniform. I just really wanted to earn a uniform and sing the national anthem. And I went and I'm a big believer and you get what you, you know, portrayed, like you get what you put out. So if I'm thinking, okay, this is going to happen, you kind of like make ways to make it happen. And throughout my military career, I've just been blessed with the opportunity to sing all over in my uniform in the national anthem. And probably this the only thing I really sing nowadays, <laughs> I sing it so many times, but every time it's really an honor and I just, I'm so proud and humbled to be able to do it. But I was asked to sing at an Airman of the Year banquet our base puts on every year and I've sang it for the past two years and so this is my third year singing at it. But we happen to have two really special guests from the Pentagon there, we had General Rice and Command Chief Anderson and they're the commanders of the Air National Guard and just seeing them there, just honestly, just seeing them at the banquet was just, you know, breath that you're like, wow, these men, these are inspiring leaders. This is how leaders should be, the way they talk, the way they wanted to connect with us. It was just really, really cool. But after I sang it, he actually called me out in front of everybody and had me stand up. And I was just kind of shocked. Like the general, you know, wants me to stand up and military rank is a really big thing. And so <laughs> like, wow, with all those stars on his shoulder, that's pretty big. And I got to sing for him and I I really wanted to go up and talk to him in person afterwards and thank him. And that was one of my goals, you know, to like get over my fear of putting myself out there and like going up and saying hi to somebody. And so I went up to him and both of him and the, the chief, they were both super nice and they congratulated me. They coined me in the military. When you get a coin, it's like an achievement. It's an honor. Uh, people higher up, they have their own special coins they keep with them. And so you kind of collect coins throughout your military career. And so they coined me and they encouraged me to be a pilot. They said they need more young female pilots in the military and they look forward to seeing me again. They asked, they asked me to sing at another event coming up in Washington. And so it was just the coolest experience ever. <laughs> I'm impressed. That's right. Now you looked a little nervous going into that. You shot some behind the scene video and because it, it was such a big deal to you. It meant a lot to you to be in that arena basically at that time and singing that, which was something very close to your heart. Yeah, I was pretty nervous. I, I've sang it so many times, but having those people there made it, you know, that much heightened and just really cool experience. I was just honestly floored, but I, yeah, <laughs> speechless almost. It was like meeting celebrities. <laughs> That's a hard song to sing. I've heard the national anthem uh, many times. I'm In my previous life, I was a photojournalist, and so I've heard this literally thousands of times. It is a hard song to get right. It is. It's pretty difficult for me. I just, I just like to sing it as traditionally as I can because for me, when I sing it, I think about the men and women who have sacrificed all, you know, for our country. And so I want it to be less about my voice and more about portraying the emotion behind the song. So that's what I go in with every time I sing. And a little bit of history. We're uh, broadcasting this part of the Skype from our beautiful headquarters at Frederick, Maryland, where Francis Scott Key is well known for writing uh, the Star Spangled <laughs> Banner. So and there you go. Amazing. <laughs> 
All right, so um, we're going to wrap it up uh, in just a minute because you've been such a great guest uh, for us. Now, we talked about this a little bit at the outset of the program, Savannah Rasky, but tell me a little bit more about some kind of advice that we can get or give to our younger folks. How do we get, you know, one more time, run through how you think we can get our younger people more involved in aviation? Yeah, so when I got my license, one of the first videos I made was called How to Be a Pilot. And I was so passionate about getting my license that I just wanted everyone to have that opportunity as well. And I know I've been fortunate in my life with how my background has been and my dad and everything, that my path to aviation isn't going to be everyone's path. But with that, I've seen other paths and how it's accessible. And I've kind of you know, researched and seen, like, if I didn't have this, how could I get this license still? And I've been blown away by all the opportunities that are out there, but people just don't know. And it could be just because they don't have anyone in their lives that can kind of mentor them and push them. If you want to be a pilot and you don't know any pilots, it just seems impossible. It just seems like the most crazy thing. And so it's been my goal just to be well-versed in what people can do because my most number one asked question ever is how to be a pilot. And so I get messages all the time asking me for advice, asking me, you know, what schools they should go to. And so I just, in my own research, I made that video so I could send that link and then have them come back to me for follow-up questions. I'm no expert. I mean, I got my license in April, right? So I'm not pretending to be an aviation guru, but I just know that with a little bit of research, things are possible to find and people might not want to look, up, look it up themselves. And so they come to someone who they think might know all the answers. And so I just try to be as prepared as I can with those answers. So a good mentor is an important thing to have. That's what you're saying. A good mentor, I think. Finding... I think if you have no aviation connections, reaching out to someone like people do to me, they're like, you're a pilot, how did you get to where you are? I think people are scared to ask people questions like that, but honestly, I'm still willing and, you know, I'm just hungry to help people out that way. So find someone, ask them a question. Or if you don't have anyone around, you know, Google how to be a pilot. There's going to be resources online. I'd say, you know, look up website scholarships, women in aviation, they have scholarships, FAFSA scholarships, AOPA has scholarships, and they're amazing scholarships, and you put in your application, you can just keep applying, applying, and people get awarded those all the time, and so there, when there's a will, there's a way, I say, research 61 schools, 141 schools, and I feel like trying to get people into aviation would be like things like Oshkosh, I went to Oshkosh for the first time, and I made a video of that, and I showed, and I posted online, and people are like, this is aviation, this is amazing. Like, I didn't even know this world existed. And kind of breaking those stereotypes, breaking, you know, that glass ceiling of what aviation is and isn't. And I think social media has been really doing a great job of that. And how people are trying to, you know, host fly-ins. I know AFO does a lot of fly-ins and it gets the younger kids involved. They have Young Eagles programs. And there's all these programs and you just have to ask the right people, you know, so start with the mentor, like you said reach out to people online, and then just kind of show that it's, it's accessible. If someone asks you a question, be willing to help them out. Just be willing to talk about it. I talk about the struggles of aviation, too, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not all fun and games. It's not just dancing with a plane. It's studying. Yeah. I have yeah. my commercial book right here with me because I'm studying, you know, all the time. And so just being open and upfront. And I think things like this, like doing a podcast and having, you know, younger people come on and talk about it. And they're like, oh, this person is young. They did it. I can do it too. It's all about being relatable, I think. And so just, yeah, making like content that's more user-friendly. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of great content out there that's more technical. And then 
kind of like dumbing it down a little bit for people just, oh, this is a plan, this looks fun, how can I do that? So just kind of like finding different avenues, finding different ways, just kind of like measle yourself in there. And I think I think it's going to get bigger, I think, with the younger generation. I see it growing, and I'm excited to be a part of that, you know, that front. Well, we know there's going to be a lot of opportunity out there for young people in the next generation because Boeing has uh, come out with their annual jobs report in the past 10 years they've been doing this, and they have called for literally hundreds of thousands of pilots in the, within the next 20 yeah. years. So you're positioning yourself in, in, really well for this, and I do like your ideas of, uh, you said there, where there's a will, there's a way. Don't be scared to ask questions of people. Don't forget about scholarships, and you're right, yeah. AOPA just upped the ante a little bit. There are now 100 scholarships over a million dollars worth of scholarships, and some are for folks who already have their original, you know, their initial pilot certificate, but are going for a different rating. So right. there, there are plenty out there for that. So that's a great idea. Don't forget about the scholarships, especially for yeah. folks who might not be exposed to aviation. Yeah, that might help them get their foot in the door. Well, Savannah Rasky, is there anything else that, that we didn't ask you besides, uh, you know, reminding people that they can go to the Savvy Traveler and find some <laughs> of your videos. Is there anything else that we didn't ask you that you wanna uh, let our podcast listeners know about? Honestly, I just wanna thank you for having me. And I just love AOPA just because of how big proponents you guys are for general aviation. I mean, I love general aviation. I think I got that from my dad. He's a United pilot, but he's never stopped in general aviation. And I think that's a world that, you know, a lot of people might wanna be pilots and then they go to the airline world, which is awesome. But I just like, I really want to stress it to people that, you know, flying the little planes is amazing and fun. And like, I, I get email updates about safety briefings you guys come out with and just keep learning. I think um, a motto is a good pilot is always learning. Oh, yeah. And so I really want to stress, you know, just take it step by step. If you're starting out getting your pilot's license, you know, take it small step by step. It's going to get overwhelming, but you can do it. I promise you, you can do it. And if you already have your license, you know, keep working. Don't just have it and settle because that's when things get dangerous. And so I just, I'm a big safety proponent and I like to have fun and show that fun side, but honestly behind that all, I just want to be the safest pilot I can be. Those are great words to live by. You did, you've done a great job. I think you really are an inspiration to a lot of folks, a lot of younger folks. And I look forward to seeing you do a lot more with some of your videos and with some of your outreach for, for the younger generation. And I know professionally you're going to do great. Thank you. And, and I hope you do get that job, as a, that slot as a KC-135 pilot out in Utah. We appreciate you, uh, Savannah Rasky. Thanks for coming to the podcast today via Skype. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah. we look forward to chatting with you in the near future. Again, the Savvy Traveler, SavvyTraveler.com, is that it? Or Savvy Traveler on YouTube? Instagram, YouTube, yeah. Uh, Instagram, <laughs> YouTube, Savvy Traveler for Savannah Rasky. Thanks again for joining us on the Hangar Talk Podcast. Thanks for having me. So David, if you could go back and start flying again, would you start your own YouTube channel and uh, get a name and make music videos and stuff like that? I'd give it a shot, and I couldn't do it as good as she could, but you know what? <laughs> Why not, man? Especially, it was a lot there. She is having so much fun with that, yes. and people yeah. are just engaging with Savannah, and I really tip my cap to her and other folks uh, in the younger generation to really 
get people more involved and more exciting and have aviation be fun again. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. Yeah, people having fun. It's really important. I totally agree. So, hey, I think that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at AOPA.org slash Hangertalk. We're on iTunes and at the Sporties Takeoff app. All right. We'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hangertalk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.